Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Awitnagwis Talking. If this is your first time around, welcome to the show, and welcome to today's episode where we are going to be diving into talking a bit about uh, protected areas, particularly in BC, and then from there we might expand onto all of Canada, maybe even the states if we have some time. But I'm mainly going to focus on protected areas within BC, as well as uh, forestry and how that kind of relates to each um, each other. You know, forestry and protected areas. A lot of our protected areas within BC are, in fact, forest. You know, a lot of them are parks, whether they're provincial parks or national parks. Now, being here on Vancouver Island, we have a finite and what feels quite limiting in terms of the amount of natural resources and land uh, that we have to use. Uh, if we use up all the lands on the island, we're not going to have any forest or natural habitat or just places and sites to enjoy. Something that I've always found growing up here on Vancouver Island is when I go to Vancouver or I go to the mainland, I, I find myself very disconnected because it, as far as I've gone, it's been um, all the big city buildings in Vancouver, Richmond, Surrey, Langley. And then you go further and you go into the interior towards Kelowna. And as you're going along the highway, you just end up seeing a lot of floodplains, farm fields, and it just doesn't feel the same, especially with agriculture. The way that I view agriculture here on Vancouver Island, growing up in the Comox Valley, I find that it really is difficult to look at a farm and go, wow, that's amazing. Because also coming with a Indigenous perspective, it's difficult to look at home territory and go, wow, what a great farm something that my ancestors never had so you know that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a bit more what i do want to start out with is this map that i found it's from the british columbia government website now what you can see here is a i'll press play again but what you can see here for our audio listeners it's a map that shows the uh, total protected area over time uh, and the trends uh, in the protection of British Columbia's terrestrial ecoregions from 1886 to 2015. So this is the most recent visual that we can get up to 2015. Now it is quite out of date. There's more protected areas since then. Uh, since 2015 because of course it's 2023 almost 2024 uh it's boxing day so happy holidays everyone if you're listening to this in the new year happy new year um <clears throat> so we have a look at this um and the fun of it is oh, play okay so the protected areas start out slow and then they slowly creep in and they fade in and they fade in and they fade in and they fade oh there's more there's more it starts in southern BC and it makes its way north. Now, one of the 100% designated protected areas 
is in like the very north of BC. This is the St. Elias Mountains and the, the Chugach Mountains and ice fields are 99.7% protected. We come down to Vancouver Island. Eastern Vancouver Island only has 13.1% protected or designated as a terrestrial ecoregion that's protected. Um, we go to Georgia Puget Sound Basin, only 9.9%. Uh, Western Vancouver Island, 13.9%, all the way from what looks like Point Redfruit all the way up to Northern Vancouver Island and even towards the East Coast. I don't know how you could call the East Coast Western, but I guess you can. That's the way that they've laid out the ecoregions for this data. We come down here and we see a graph that slowly rises. And as we scroll along this graph, the map corresponds with the data. Now, one of the craziest things is that it's not until the early 1900s, so 1940, 19, 1938 is where we start to see this spike in protected areas. And as of 2015, the status states that there is a total area of 947,654 square kilometers of protected area. That sounds great, doesn't it? <clears throat> map above from 2015 is a map of protected lands and waters in BC. Now, besides just terrestrial protected areas, we also have marine protected areas. These might be marine protected areas uh, or protected conservancy areas. Uh, might be a rockfish conservation area. It might be very sensitive salmonid habitat. There's all different things that it can be. Um, according to this data, and according to um, the projections from this 2015 data, it states here that British Columbia's network of protected lands and waters contribute to the global and Canadian targets to set aside by 2020, so three years ago, at least 17% of terrestrial areas and inland water and 10% of coastal and marine areas through the networks of protected areas and other effective area-based conservation measures. That was a lot to unpack. What I interpret that as is that by 2020, they plan to have at least 17% as well as a 10%. So overall, a 27% protected areas, um, <clears throat> not, very, not very great. I mean, looking at the visual, this overall map here is not, it's not overwhelming. It's not, doesn't really satisfy much. You see these little blobs of green, tiny, tiny little blobs, which is a large amount of land mass. However, in regards to just BC, that doesn't feel fair. Um, and I mean, even more so due to the fact that here in BC, we kind of face all of it because we have good forests. So we have a lot of forestry. Most of Canada's forestry comes from BC, if 
next to all of it, basically, right? As well as the uh, commercial fishing and shellfish industry is big here in BC. <clears throat> and the, uh, the mine, the mining, you know, mining happens across Canada, but it also happens in BC. So what we're seeing is this sort of <clears throat> overflow of resource use or management, if that's the way you want to look at it. Then through agriculture, we also have things like runoff and we have all these negative effects. We have a drought that affects everyone and we have farmers refusing to um, either cut their water supply for the time being or to at least lessen it to a fair use amount. Here in the Comox Valley, we have lived through uh, quite a few water restrictions due to higher temperature summers where it first starts out as you can only water your lawn on these days and then it goes to you can only water your lawn for a little bit or garden or whatever and then it gets to a point where it, it like mainly restricts water usage outside of like drinking water and, and cooking um but when it comes to like watering your lawn and keeping it green in the summer it's going to return and be green in the fall so i personally do not entirely understand why people water their lawn in the middle of summer i do understand the appeal to having a green lawn but it just doesn't seem fair to everyone else when we all have our water coming from the same supply uh, in comox lake <clears throat> so continuing on here to the main part of this page um, we also have the beck system so the biogeoclimatic or the, the yeah the biogeoclimatic bio zones and then beck is biogeoclimatic ecosystem classification system um pretty well the same thing now protected lands are not evenly distributed amongst british columbia's ecosystems according to the website High elevation and mountainous areas such as spruce, willow, birch, boreal, atai, uh, fesus, uh, no, no, fescue, fescue alpine, altai, fe fescue alpine. I've never seen that name. Uh, and interior mountain heather alpine zones have more than the provincial average protected. Low elevation, warm bottom areas tend to be under represented so from what i understand from that is that the like where we live is not as protected as where we don't live which is fair because who protects where we live well it's mainly enforcement it's the rcmp it's local police it's your neighbors it's your family it's your pets at times and you know in, in terms of like a generalization of the term protected right what we're talking about here is land mass and uh, in this case marine as well so uh protected areas cover 3.2 percent of bc's coastal and marine areas so that's a little off what we're wanting to look at here 
Um, there's, of course, all their sources and data if you want to look at it more. Um, something that I find interesting is this article here from January, so almost a year ago, but it states from CBC, uh, the title is BC Valley of Ancient Trees, Rare Animals Preserved in Deal with Forest Farm. <clears throat> so a forest giant, Inner Four Corp to give up 75,000 hectares of its tenure in the young, in the income Valley. So a valley of intact forest lakes and wetlands in southeastern British Columbia, nearly 200 times the size of Vancouver's Stanley Park is being preserved in an agreement with governments, indigenous groups, and forest companies, and Nature Conservancy of Canada. <clears throat> so they're looking to east of Revelstoke protect a large amount of la, uh, land. So according to this, it states 75,000. So the valley is a rare inland temperate rainforest with substantial areas of mature and old growth trees, some ranging from 800 to 1500 years. Now, by definition, old growth trees along the coast are defined as a tree that is 250 years or older. In the interior of BC, it's defined as being old growth when it is only 140 years or older. The size of the tree doesn't necessarily depict whether it's old growth or not. So just keep that in mind. However, this range is well above both of those, 800 on the low end and 1,500 on the high end. <clears throat> so it states here that the forest also supports hundreds of lichen species, some that are new to science. So they've been around for a while, but scientists and biologists have come to conclude that they're new, haven't seen them before. And it provides habitat for grizzly and black bears, as well as endangered fungal and plant species, according to the government. The Nature Conservancy states that several species at risk are found in the valley, including two endangered bats and threatened southern mountain caribou. So southern mountain caribou would be a, uh, I guess like a population um, that's threatened. Mind you, it, it could be defined as a subspecies. I don't know my caribou too well, but yeah, that isn't good. Caribou, quite important. Quite a few people do hunt caribou. And um, I've heard in some areas at times like they're hunted, even though their populations are nearly extirpated and and or don't exist in certain areas. Um, but that's due to management areas of, of hunting. Um, that's definitely not the animal's fault. It's more a human error. <clears throat> and so this unique temperate ecosystem is the northern edge of the project. Uh, it butts up against the Glacier National Park which the Conservancy says increases the important habitat for wide-ranging animals across the southern interior of these mountains. So all that's saying is that 
it's just creating more habitat for a good amount of animals. So the BC government said the conservancy covers almost 59,000 hectares, while another 17,000 hectares of forest in the southern part of the valley will be protected from logging, not for, from. So the environment minister, George Heyman, told a group that gathered for the announcement of the legislature that the area is one of the few timber rainforests in the world. It's a unique part of the province, he states. So, like, this is a very interesting read because you're not just taking in um, just the the growth that can happen uh, by letting an ecosystem be an ecosystem, but you're also understanding the complexities that might might happen. So it does come down to community. Um, Premier David Ebby said, the valley is one of BC's greatest treasures, home to old growth cedars and hemlocks that are four meters in diameter. So those are pretty big trees um, in terms of size. In terms of protection of forests, I don't have a super solid standing. Um, it's tricky though, because I, with growing up in the Comox Valley, I grew up seeing cuplocks all the time and could see them clear as day, clear cuts. And I learned recently that clear cuts are slowly, but most certainly being phased out. It's not something that the government or forest companies or forest policymakers want to keep doing because visually it just doesn't look good. But <clears throat> more select cuts or um, shelter stands or like th th there's many methods to help um, have a mixed age growth within a cup lock or an ecosystem. A more natural ecosystem is going to have more of a mixed growth of trees. By that, I mean the trees are going to vary in age and size. Where you might have 900-year-old trees, you might also have 70-year-old trees. Um, and anything in between older and younger than that range. So what we have is then this organic and real ecosystem. And when I say real, I, I don't mean that lightly. I mean it in the sense of like an ecosystem is supposed to work together. Systems are a way for everything to function together and individually. When we talk about systems, we're talking about cars. You know, when, when you think about a car, what systems does a car need to work? Well, you need an engine, you need fuel, you need, there's all these things that you need. So you go to the gas station, you get gas. Well, what happens if you get into a car accident? There's a system in place for that. It's called insurance. You know, it. there's all these things that you're able to, to do that you weren't able to do before. So... Um, just a couple of quotes here to end off this article. The protection comes after decades of threats to the Incom <laughs> Incomapolis 
River Valley, including an independent power project and several attempts to log the remaining ancient forests, the group says in a news release. <clears throat> in 2005, a landslide occurred in the valley in the canyon, halting logging operations and making the road impassable. So it's a really good way to look at the historical um, treatment and growth and change of that ecosystem in that valley in the canyon. It's quite important because it doesn't just gloss over the fact that, oh, this ecosystem has been doing pretty good. I mean, talk about a landslide. You're talking about trees coming down, animal habitat being destroyed. Like it's a lot of times at this point too, people's houses, people's houses get destroyed. Uh, people lose their lives. Uh, it's much more than the, the environmental or economic issues. It becomes more of a social issue with, uh, as we talked in last episodes about wildfires, you know, we had a wildfire rip through Lillooet destroying basically the entire town many people lost their homes so you know it can be quite um you know devastating and that's kind of where i feel our values need to go is pull back a bit to the human of it to balance out the economic um for lack of better term strength that is there uh when the economic value is the highest consideration um you know that's that's where you run into issues and that's part of the reason why i brought up this this article uh from the fifth of this month december 5th 2023 so global news states bc moves to reduce Raw log exports boost higher value wood manufacturing. So apparently BC is moving to reduce the export of raw logs harvested in the province by requiring that a certain type of lumber from the interior undergo manufacturing first. The statement from Forest Ministry from the Forest Ministry says uh, changes to BC lumber regulations will require mills to fully manufacture lumber from cedar and cypress trees, producing items such as wood veneer, moldings, shingles, siding, floor, and fencing. Existing regulations will allow minimally processed cedar and cypress to be exported from the interior without further manufacturing. The government says the amendment is set to cut that practice and will take effect in February. So this is a pretty quick turnaround in terms of export requirements. It says that an exemption must be obtained to export wood products that do not meet the specifications, such as logs and fee and lieu of manufacturing paid to the province. The Independent Wood Processors Association of BC welcomed the changes, saying in a statement that restricting raw lumber exports 
will create opportunities for higher value manufacturing and keep more forestry jobs in the province. So in the mandate letter from Forest Minister Bruce Ralston, Premier David Ebby. Oh, this dude's like kind of important. Premier David Ebby. Who, wait, who is this actually? Wait, is this the guy who replaced Oregon? Hold on, just just side side note here. Um, David, he's the premier of, of British Columbia. Yeah, he's he's NDP. Okay, sorry for that side note there. I I realized I didn't know who our premier was for a quick sec. I was still thinking John Horgan. Oregon that. Um, anyways, back to the article. Uh, in So in the mandate letter to the forest minister, the premier of BC said the unchecked export of raw logs was among issues requiring change to ensure BC's forest industry is sustainable. So the government statement released Monday, so I guess a few days before this article, says that the change in the interior builds on previous amendments that require western red cedar and cypress also known as yellow cedar to fully be manufactured before export from coastal areas the region updates support work already underway to get more value from every tree harvested by strengthening the wood manufacturing industry it states uh, in the coastal region, these export requirements have reduced the volume of minimally processed, processed cedar leaving the province. So that's, I mean, that's really good for manufacturing. My take on it is it might mean higher taxes for some. I don't know who. <clears throat> Um, or maybe it's it's taxes simply on the um, forestry companies or or processors manufacturers. Um, I I don't know enough about forestry or milling to give any solid input, um, but from an indigenous point of view, uh, which ultimately at the end of the day is just my perspective but the way that i was taught to look at our natural resources aka nature is just we exist with it and it exists with us we are the ones who cannot survive without it if we were to all disappear tomorrow the planet would do way better without us the planet does not need us we need it where do we go when we need food? Well, either we go hunting or, you know, to the grocery store to do a bit more simple hunting, pay money. You know, um, you fill your freezer with, with beef from a cow that you never even knew. But when we go hunting out and about for a deer, an elk, caribou, moose, 
when we go fishing, you know, when we go and harvest plants, when we have our own gardens, when we have food sovereignty um, and self-sustaining um, ourselves. That's when the real magic happens. And when it comes to forestry, trees take quite a while to grow, which I think is why at this point it is becoming more and more of a difficult resource to manage. Because what our province, the people, the government, different people are, are coming to realize that we don't have a hundred years to wait for a tree to reach a marketable size. Now with the size, is it also how straight the tree is? Is there curves? How many knots is there? Mind you, it doesn't matter how slender or wide in diameter a tree is. Um, some of the most slender trees are worth quite a bit uh, just due to timber costs and things that can become pulp and paper and particle board and simpler things in life that we need. Um, and I'm not against like having like paper. I'm more so conflicted by the way that forestry is managed. Forestry does not feel respectful in regards to the ecosystem part of it. Uh, we manage mostly the resource, the revenue, um, within our own lifetime. So you're looking at a career of maybe 40, 50 years, you know, on average. And within those years that you're a forester of some sort, whether you're in policy or you're cutting down the trees, you know, you're a faller or... I don't know, I'm trying to think of different jobs that forestry people have, but like whatever job you have, you're impacting the ecosystem just as much as the, you know, person next to you. Um, the most important step is the start, is the planning. <clears throat> you have your site plans, you have your tenure plans, you have how long the project's going to last. You have how big the area is. You have what trees you're going to leave, what trees you're going to cut down. Where is your buffer zone around streams? Does there need to be a buffer zone according to your own forestry regulations? That's another issue because although one stream might be defined as not salmon or fish bearing, does not mean that that stream does not lead down to another stream that is fish bearing. You know, when it comes to turbidity and debris, it all flows downstream, flows downriver to a certain degree. And what you're actually doing in turn is messing up the larger um, watershed. It, it doesn't benefit the fish. It doesn't benefit us. Uh, the only thing that benefits us is that the trees. Um, but if we're not managing our resources together, all as one, and the connectivity that that fish and bears and trees all have right like that one old growth article had stated um very important habitat for grizzly and black bears as well as a endangered caribou uh, species of sorts and bats you know animals that you don't really think about like bats it's uh 
you know, they are a, a species of, of concern and they're at risk, they're endangered in that area of the, um, of, of BC, you know. So, you know, those are just some of my thoughts around forestry. Um, if there's any topics you'd like me to cover, you can get a hold of me on my Instagram page at aw underscore talking. I believe that's my Instagram page. Um, I say I believe. I I made it not that long ago. Yeah, so that's <clears throat> that's correct. You can you can reach me at aw underscore talking. So aw like a wheaten of wheat, but I didn't want to type out a wheaten of wheat because I figured well that's too hard for people to remember to spell. And uh, yeah, give me a follow if you haven't already, and shoot me a message uh, asking me questions. And I hope to at some point do a Q and A. And very soon, hope to have a guest on the show. So thank you all very much for having a listen and having a watch in video form. And I will see you all in the next episode. Peace out.